Welcome to Two For None, it's your favourite cricket comedy podcast. My name is Patrick Cullen and I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, Christopher T. Barty. He's back. Barto, how delightful to see your face. Thanks, Pat. Uh, it's good to see yours too, my friend. Um, you know how I feel about this podcast, so pleasure to be here. <laughs> pleasure to be here. <laughs> Mate, uh, absolutely delightful to have you back. I know you've been a very busy man. Um, how are you doing with your Pararoos preparation? Are you boys pumped? Are you ready to rumble? Are you saving goals? Are you jumping around those the between the posts? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think ready to go. I think it's going to be an exciting couple of games against Canada. Obviously, um, Pararoos' uh, first official home game in uh, 19 years. So uh, I haven't, haven't wow. had the opportunity to, to play in front of a home audience before. So it's going to be really exciting. And um yeah we'll wait and see what the team sheet holds um i are you thinking you're going to be warming the bench but uh, text messages indicate <laughs> you think you're going to be warming some pie uh yeah i i have a strong uh inkling that uh my buttocks will be familiar with the uh with the bench but um that's okay um just here to play my role do my part pat that's uh you know me uh, I don't need to be the, be the star. I'm happy to be the uh, be the be the vanilla ice cream to the chocolate topping. <laughs> that is whatever team it is I'm contributing to on the day. So uh, no, but it's going to be very exciting. I think it's a tremendous thing for uh, not only uh, disability football but for football in general. Um, I think in, particularly inclusive football um, in this country has come a long way over the last ten years, and uh, and uh, it's quite remarkable. In many, many ways. Um, so that's so yeah, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but um, Pat, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you one thing. I was thinking about this before. I thought, how do I feel uh, about coming on the podcast tonight? Um, so ask me how I feel. Pat, how do I feel? Chris, how do you feel about coming on the podcast tonight? I feel like former New Zealand quick Chris Martin coming out to bat at number 11. I'm about to face a barrage, a pace barrage, and that is ill-equipped and unprepared. <laughs> Probably going to embarrass myself, but ready to give it a red, ha- red hot crack anyway. Um, and for those who... But uh, yeah. do you remember Chris Martin's um, uh, batting instructional videos? Where he like tied, um, he's like learn my learn my unique defensive technique, and he like had his feet tied to cinder blocks, <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you know that's some good content. It's strong. It's, I like oh, it. it's uh, he was a funny man, and um, oh, look, entertaining in his own way, and that's what I plan to be hopefully for the next. Uh, I'm told we're doing a quick pod tonight. I'm, I'm told we're going to be shifty. Um, uh, we, we're going to hustle. We're going to make a, a, a quick single tonight, Pat. And, uh, Bardo, when we get to our 100th episode, I'm just going to do a compilation of you and me saying it's going to be a quick pod tonight. Yeah, <laughs> quick pod tonight. Yeah, yeah, quick pod tonight. What are we now? Episode 52. We're, 52, uh, mate. 52 We've raised the bat. Yeah. We've done a lap and we're putting our heads back down to get back down to the grindstone. Um, here's the plan, sure. Bardo. Here's the plans for today's episode. So we're going to touch on the WBBL really quickly. Heidi Cheadle was not able to come in or give me a call today. She's a lady under pressure. Um, so we're just going to do a real quick uh, dab on that because I need to give people an update about Heidi and I's WBBL fantasy teams. Sure. Um, Western Australia won the Marsh Cup 
Bardo, mm. the one-day tournament. Mm. And I know you have thoughts and feelings and emotions that you wish to express about that. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so. I tell you what, when Sean Marsh leads a team to victory in the Marsh Cup, they're going to make a movie about it, Pat, and it's going to be called Being Sean Marshavik. It's a shocker. Oh, boy. It's good. It's good. It's strong. It's powerful. I uh, like it. Um, <laughs> that movie, actually, being John Malkovich, being John Malkovich uh, I saw that when I was like nine. And you know, like when like yeah. your parents just take you to a movie or they make a decision that's just not, it's just a little bit too adult for you at the time. Uh-huh. Being John Malkovich just gave me the willies. Um, yeah. Strange oh, film. Oh, wasn't ready <laughs> wasn't ready i can't watch it actually like it's 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 in my psyche but for I can't. real you got ptsd about yeah. john Malk being john well Malkovich. yeah like, i like john malkovich i think he's a, i think he's a good actor uh he's a great actor but i can't watch that movie i have to i i, I have to i actually i can't can't engage can't engage we weirds me out well, Pardo, a man that can engage is Adam Hassan, who sent us in a tape to talk about the recent test against Pakistan. And we've got a tape from Spinksy as well. So I reckon we'll do some women's cricket, we'll do some state cricket, we'll do the test match, and we'll get out of here and see if we can't do it in tight 40. And I promise not to bring up John Malkovich or being John Malkovich again for the rest Thank of the you. show. Thank How you. Thank you, Pat. That? Yep, that's, that's fine. That'll certainly help the uh, higher degrees of flop sweat uh, this evening. Anything for you, Bardo. Um, mate, so um, Hyde's and I devised this system for doing fantasy cricket, right, um, for the WBBL. Because, bizarrely, we wanted to do it on a legitimate website um, in a normal place where I didn't have to sit on an Excel spreadsheet and do maths. But that doesn't exist for the WBBL, which I think is an oversight, Bardo. I think it's an oversight. I think it's wrong. I think it needs to be changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, Look, I think there's no reason why women's sport shouldn't be equally exposed to obscure fantasy sport nerds. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're missing out on so much, right. Chris. There's yeah, so much opportunity. Absolutely, there. absolutely. It's and and uh, women's sport is poorer for it. So I congratulate you, Pat, for coming up with this obscure, customized fantasy Excel spreadsheet-based league, of which I Thank um, you, have recently found out my participation in. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't so much offer it to you as I just sort of sent you the link and was like, put your team in. Yep. Um, I've done the same for Spinksy as well, and I've encouraged the rest of our correspondents to do so. I'm hoping Jai Singh might whack in a team. I think if there's a man built for this occasion, it's Jai yeah. Singh. It really is. I mean, come with the time, come with the man. That's right. Bro. I'm calling um, you out, Jai Singh. Listen, I'm calling you out. We're calling you out, Jai. Put a team in. Um so here's, here's how we picked our teams, Bardo. Last week, Hardy and I picked our teams. Now, she basically picked her teams on people she loved and people she knew and uh, humans that she wanted to support, which is a very kind and generous way to pick your fantasy <laughs> team. But you and I, Bardo, <laughs> we've played some fantasy games before. We've been in a fantasy AFL league, and uh, you've got to pick those. I played Moneyball, Bardo, Okay. And unsurprisingly, uh, I've I've started the, uh, started the tournament off with a bit of a bang. Yeah. Um, yeah. Largely thanks to Sophie Devine, who is divine. Uh, she is killing it, B-Train. Do you know that Sophie Devine is currently sitting second on the WBBL Most Runs list? She has 593 runs in 12 games. 
She's also taken a slew of wickets um, and should be an automatic pick. She made an 87 the other week um, in in one of the last games, which went down to a super over. Um, so take that. Well, look, having just been invited to the league, Pat, I actually didn't know any of that. But um... <laughs> See, this is the hints and tips I'm giving you straight off yeah. the bat. My other tip for sure. you, Chris, early in uh-huh. the game is don't pick Elise Perry. I, I know... That sounds like an oxymoron, mm. but she's out for nine weeks because of her dislocated I shoulder. See. Yes, yep. Um, no, look, sound advice. Uh, playing injured players in fantasy sport almost never works out. Uh, never, never. never. Um, and I can understand where Heidi's coming from, picking players on the basis of uh, of love. <clears throat> you know, I, 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 I get it. I get it. You know, the word the, the fantasy itself is. Uh, it's usually a, a, an emotion-charged realm, if you like, Pat. <laughs> but uh, not fantasy sport. Fantasy sport, it's all about them numbers. It, it's, a, uh, it's a quantitative game. No room for qualitative uh, analysis in any way, shape or form. Um, and certainly no room for emotion. It's, uh, it's for rational, sentient beings only, Pat. So That is correct, Chris. You know. Rational sentient beings only. And that's what... When people think Pat Cullen, what they think is rational sentient being, Chris. That's that's the two thoughts that go together. Yeah. But here's something I'd like from you. Okay, so looking at Heidi's team sure. here, I'm just going to rip sure. it. Just li- read you down the list. She's got Healy, Perry, Lanning, Siver, Kim Garth from the Scorchers, Ismail from the Thunder, Beth Mooney, Jess Jonathan, Tahohu from the Renegades, Dane Van Niekirk, and Amelia, Her- Amelia Kerr, I'm sorry to say. Um, now, in the middle there... Uh, Ismail from the Thunder and Tahuhu from the Renegades. Now, both good bowlers, right? And both have taken wickets in the past. But the way that we've organized it is you get five points for a wicket, right? You get three points for a run out and you get uh, a couple of points as well if you get a threefer or a fifer. 20 points for a fifer and 10 points for a threefer. But if you bowl well and you keep it tight, but you don't take a wicket, you don't get any points mm. at this juncture. I don't think that's fair. No, not fair. I not don't fair. know how to solve that, Chris. It's not indoor cricket, Pat. It's not indoor cricket. <laughs> you know, you don't lose runs when you lose a wicket. You don't, you don't lose runs. It's all about economy rate. It's all about economy That's right. Rate. I wonder, Pat, if the economy rate could be a, a score modifier. A score Ooh, okay. modifier. So, I don't, know, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. Maybe you take the final score and divide it by the runs per over. So the Oof. more runs per over you can see, the lower your score. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. But you, Chris, that was very intelligent. Thanks. That's one of the smartest things I think I've ever heard you right. say. Well, you know, it's been known to happen. Um, but I think something like that's probably the way to go. Sure. And I might even give that a go for next week. I think I'll, I'll leave that there for the minute, Bardo. But all I wanted to say was that after the first round, I am on 653 points and Heidi is on 530. You and Spinks are both yet to get your teams in. And fans of the pod, if you want to play with us, you absolutely can. Um, I've put the link to this uh, Google Sheet in the old uh, Two For None Facebook page. It's a Google Drive link. You can just get on there and fill your team list out, and I'll go through and do the points each week um, just to add to my total of work to do. So um, get around that. Some really big games went down in the WBBL. Um, and I think we'll talk about those in Heidi in a bit more detail. All I wanted to let you know, Bido, is the Heat are on top. Mm. The Strikers are coming in second. The Scorchers are in third. 
The six is the Renegades, uh, the Thunder, the Hurricanes, and the Stars are the Cellar Dwellers. Yeah. Did you get down to Lilac Hill, Bardo? I haven't got, I haven't got down to Lilac Hill uh, yet. I, I hope there, hopefully there's a few more games to go. I, um, there is. There's a couple coming um, up. I think early December there might be a, a few, but no, I'll certainly make the effort. Yeah, 30 November, Bardo. There's the Scorchers and the Hurricanes at Lilac uh, very Hill. Good, very good, very good. Um, no, I, I love going to Lilac, Lilac Hill. As you know, it's been a fixture of uh, the past three, past three summers for me, and... Uh, Hoping, hoping to make it a hat-trick, hat-trick Pat, um, so that'll be good. But uh, look, i tell you what, I, I am surprised by a little bit is the performance of um, the Melbourne sides, uh, certainly with uh, mm. the great Elise Villani uh, crossing yeah. the Nullarbor. I would have thought we would have seen a little bit more coming out of Melbourne, but uh, obviously not to be. Um, and the Heat, aren't the Heat uh, just looking at tour de force at the moment? Mate, the Heat are incredible. They've got a inc- massively powerful lineup, and everybody seems to be scoring runs. You know, Beth Mooney at the top there made an 86 in the last game against the Renegades. Um, Jess Jonathan's batting at three. You got Grace Harris, Laura Harris coming in. You know, who my you know who Blessing my favorite is from Sammy the Joe Heat. Johnson? My favorite player from the Heat. Who is Sammy Joe Johnson? Mate, she's a gun. Love me some Sammy Joe. She's an absolute. She's gun. great. She's brilliant. I would love to have her in my side. Um, maybe maybe that'll be my first fantasy pick. Don't know. We'll see what happens. Mate, I put her in. I tell you what, and I wouldn't. I don't sleep on Jess Jonathan or Amy Jones from the Scorchers, but mm. Amy Jones has been hitting runs and taking names. Um, and I, I I get you. I'd get her in your side. All right. I'm all just right. giving no, you that handy little tip. tip. Mate, speaking of uh, West Australian teams doing well, mm. would you like to take this opportunity just to? Step into the driver's seat for a second and talk to me about this final that WA played in the men's competition, the one-day game, the Marsh Cup, um, and where they won, by the way. They won, and a certain man of yours, yes. a, certain, a certain S Marsh, hit a big amount of runs. Just just, just relay to me your feelings here. Well, just a quiet sense of uh, satisfaction, uh, Pat. Uh, <laughs> just a... Well, you know, I mean... Um, <coughs> Uh, Warren Buffett, Pat, the, the, the great Warren Buffett, the famous investor, it was quoted as saying, my favorite period of time to hold a stock is forever. And I <laughs> think he's got a point there because um, whilst many cricket fans, fair weather cricket fans, may have sold their stocks in Sean Marsh a long time ago, um, I have not, as you know, Pat. You can verify that. Um, yeah, yeah I'm not, I have Chris. remained. You're definitely not ste- a steadfast and staunch supporter of Sauce, and boy howdy, did it pay dividends uh, earlier this week <laughs> in a game where nobody else scored any runs, and I mean, like literally nobody else scored any runs. Um, the only man that stood up and made a difference was one Sean Marsh. And I don't know if you've taken the time, I don't know if you've taken the time to watch the, the highlights of the great man's performance, but uh, it was some of the meanest batting I've ever seen. Some of them. What do you mean when you say that, Bardo? Some of the meanest batting. What do you, what do you mean oh, when you say he that? He just treated the bowling with utter contempt. Uh, <laughs> taking, the, uh, taking it to, uh, to all parts of the ground. Um, just looked absolutely uh, like perfection from the get-go and came to the crease at a relatively perilous time 
with Australia at sorry not Australia Western Australia at two for seventeen with the ever dangerous Darcy Short and uh, former mm. Test batsman and I'm sure soon to be uh, Test batsman once again Cameron Bancroft um, out fairly cheaply so two two mm. major uh, uh, components to Western Australia's batting attack uh, gone cheaply uh, the ever dangerous uh, Ashton Turner short to follow so Australia, Western Australia finds themselves a really perilous position at 3 for 23 and it calls for an experienced head at these times Pat <laughs> a 30 a 35 year old doesn't doesn't do they don't know these things they don't know how to command this ship no 35 year olds I've got no idea but I've got nothing between uh, the ears and look those rambunctious 36 year olds I mean that <laughs> is getting a little closer but they're a little bit headstrong and uh, very much so. They got to tone lack it down. Lack the humility a little bit. Where I think the sweet <laughs> spot really is, and they say like a fine wine, you know, the people get better with age. I think that's true, right up until about thirty-seven, and that was the point where the great <laughs> Sean Marsh came to the crease um, in a classical innings, thirteen fours, Pat, no sixes. Now, Mate, you can win a World Cup with those 13 fours. That is a risk-free um, classical innings of which you can build around. Uh, and so it was a wonderful job uh, by Sean Marsh, uh, ably supported by the Hulk, Marcus Stoinis, um, in the middle order to restore some form of normality. Uh, former international Hilton Cartwright, uh, out cheaply. Um, a gun, um, gun young all-rounder, uh, Cameron Green, who we haven't really spoken much about, but I'm sure we will be talking more and more about as the years uh, progress, um, unfortunately didn't fire in this game, leaving Australia, Western Australia again in a sort of semi-perilous position um, at uh, 6 for 151 with a bit of work to do. But uh, thankfully, cool heads prevailed when Ashton Agar came to the crease and showed his all-round prowess making 29 off 42 and ably supporting uh, the great one. So, um, look, I think what a performance, first and foremost, uh, from, from Sean mm. Marsh. Um, some other performances of note in this game. Uh, Jimmy Pearson, Queensland keeper, um, makes 79 yeah. off, off 83 to anchor the Queensland innings because similarly for them, things weren't uh, looking particularly good um, at various points throughout the A bit the strange innings. too, Bardo. Um, Don't you think it... Allen Border Field, which is a freaking road. Yeah. Like you could really get the tarmac out there. You could you could launch a plane. You could you could seriously fly off the top of Allen Border Field, mate. It is flat and hard. Well, when when Jimmy Pearson comes to the crease, uh, Queensland find themselves at five for fifty six. So without his knock of seventy three, it would have been a um, uh, not much not much of a final really. Um, and in terms of Western Australia's bowlers, mm. I think there's some terrific performances here with the ball. So, you know, whilst we might bemoan the batting performances, I think that that usually does speak to a good uh, bowling performance. Um, and it's wonderful to see Jai Richardson back up and firing, um, bowling his best. Figures of three for thirty-five from ten. Um, you can't one sneeze at that, Bardo. Yeah, you wouldn't sneeze. You can't ask much more than that. And um, look, I tell you what, um, you know, the Australian Test team is tough to break into at the moment. To break into that. Uh, uh, that top three pace attack, I suppose, and with Michael Nisa um, now operating the uh, occupying the fourth seam spot, uh, the first reserve, if you like, it's a tough spot to be in. But with Jai Richardson bowling like that, hopefully it won't be too long before we see him back in national colours because he really does bring something, 
I think, quite unique uh, to uh, to the Australian side. Um, and I'm sure we'll see him in the colour kit uh, later on in the summer. Nathan Coulter-Nile, um, NCN, NCN. Um, 3 for 47 was also quite handy with singles to Stoinis, Agar and Darcy Short. Um, for, as far as the Queensland bowlers go, um, as we said, the first reserve there, Michael Nisa, um, certainly nothing to be ashamed about with figures of 2 for 34. And Mark Steckety uh, with figures of 2 for 32, the best of the Queensland bowlers. But at the end of the day, Pat, it really was a man in the middle um, who was able to get the job done for Western Australia. They turned to the old hand. Swamp thing. Swamp thing. He emerged and saved the day. And uh, we love him for it. So, well done. Well done, Sean Marsh. Well done, Western Australia. One day, domestic champions, Pat, once again. And uh, I'm sure not last I was getting notifications on my phone, Bardo. I was getting little dings saying Sean Marsh hits 50. And I was looking at it. And all I could think about was your face appearing in front of me like some kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi-like thing, floating around in air going, I told you he still had a Pat. Pat, I told you. Hey, Patty, what did I tell you about Sean Marsh? He's still got it, the swamp thing. He's nothing but skills at 38. He's like a fine aged whiskey. I'll give him this, but I, you know, this is the terminal Sean Marsh problem, that Sean and Mitchell will, they, you give them an opportunity, but I, you give them a big opportunity and they let you down. And you go, oh boy, we can't, I can't go through this with, again, with you again, Sean. I can't go through it with you. And then he goes back to state cricket and he just smashes it. He performs in high pressure situations. He gets big runs. He does something. And you sit there and go, do I want Sean Bash back in my life? Do I want him back? And then you just remember all the heartbreak he's put you through, Chris. You know, Sean Marsh is the is the equivalent of a of a deadbeat boyfriend that just keeps coming back into your life. He texts you at three in the morning, going, "You up?" And you look at it and you think, "Oh, am I? Am I up, Chris?" And this is what I want to throw to you: Am are is the Australian One Day team up, Chris? Are they up? Are they interested in this text message from Sars? Uh, look, what I'll say is this: what my very my extraordinarily limited understanding about. Um, how uh, these things are picked. Um, my very little understanding is that, generally speaking, they pick these things on a cyclical basis. And the first criteria being picked is, is this player likely to represent Australia at the next World Cup? Uh, uh, well, we said 37 was a sweet spot. I'm not sure about 41. Um <laughs> It's going to be Brad Hogg S41, isn't it? It's so, really pushing those Brad well, Hogg buttons. Well, and so look, um, I would say potentially the T20 World Cup is more likely, um, uh, if, if anything. Yeah. If anything. Maybe. If anything. Uh, but. I'd pay that actually, Chris. That might be a smart selection. That might be a little, uh, little, wild, card, little wild card. Sleeper. Give it up a sleep. Keep it. Are you talking about a selection shock here, Chris Barty? Are you talking to my face about a selection shock right well, now, it's pal? About, it's about time we send one back, mate. We've got to send one back. <laughs> i tell you what. Actually, well, okay. So, first of all, let me just say this. Do I think Sean Marsh is going to be selected at the next World Cup? Probably not. But as I said at the top, when it comes to Sean Marsh, my favourite holding period is forever. So, I won't let go uh, until he does. Um, now, moving on, in terms of selection shocks, Pat, and look, we are well and truly within our rights to send one back. 
it's, we, we talked about being Sean Markovich uh, before and, and being John Malkovich. Uh, this is a theme running through Australian cricket right now because I think George Bailey just got announced as a new selector. Yeah. He's yeah. still playing. Yeah. Um, That's pretty wild. Very wild. Cons- considering he was just staring at Gully and uh, trying to hit balls through mid-wicket, you've got to uh, you've got to say that maybe got stick and tired of putting a crick in his neck. But, but here's what I do like about George. George gives a great press conference, yeah. Bardo. He gives a great presser. And I am very excited about the prospect of George Bailey returning to give me press conferences. I, I, I'm already pleased about that. If only for the media and communication story that's going to come out uh, around George Bailey, I'm into it. I will admit that, that putting a current player as charge of Chiefs for Selector is bizarre but obviously they must have an agreement that there won't be a conflict of interest about George selecting himself well I think that was his first comment uh, to the media when they were saying how is he going to manage a conflict of interest and he said I'm not going to pick myself um, which smart move smart move he's smart off to move. a good you can't criticize George he's for off that. to a good start um, oh, look I, I, I love George Bailey I think he's uh, part of a great era, era of Tasmanian cricket that we all, all appreciate and look um, great white ball player, great shield captain, great, white ball great shield player, great thinker in the game, um, and great um, evening speaker, Chris. If really? you haven't seen the photo, the yeah, yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen the uh, the speech that he does about being under the lid to Jimmy Anderson in the 2015 Ashes and the uh, the great exchanges of banter that occurred there, Chris. I can't recommend it enough. George Bailey gives a great speech. If he's ever in your area, folks, go and see George giving a chat. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know, I mean, that 2013 Ashes, um, you know, although his uh, his test record probably um, will uh, belie his standing in the game a little bit, um, if you're going to be part of a series, why not make it a 5-0 whitewash to reclaim the Pretty Ashes? good, Chris. Why not? Pretty good. Mate, um, speaking of whitewashes, we uh, pretty much wiped out Pakistan in this most recent international where we played them up at the Gabba to open the Test Summer, Chris, because Test Cricket is back, my friend. Mm. I'm not sure that we mentioned it, but it's back on Australian soil. And I have tapes in front of me from Adam Hassan and from Alex Spinks. Who would you like to hear from first? Well, I think I'd love to hear some Adam Hassan from Pakistan, my friend. Um, always good to hear the great man and uh, would love to get him back in my earbuds. Uh, for a Wednesday evening. All right, let's crack him out. Here is Adam Hassan from Pakistan. And folks, we, as always, uh, will be playing Hold Up Hey here. If Chris or I have a good thing to say, we will say Hold Up Hey to stop the tape and interject with hopefully something insightful, funny, or just random. Here we go. So Pakistan lost the first test by an innings and five runs. And there have been a lot of negatives to come out of that performance. But I'm not going to focus on that today. I'm just going to look at the positives of which there were more than you would expect given the result. Firstly, while we lost by an innings and 5 runs, Bangladesh lost in India by an innings and 46 runs, and England lost in New Zealand by an innings and 65 runs, so we actually performed the best of any away side this week. We also managed to get Australia all out, while India and New Zealand both declared 9 down. Another thing we managed to do that England didn't was get Steve Smith out early, Yasser Shah bowling in for 4. This was the seventh time oh, that Yasser Shah has got him out in just five tests. Yes, Bardo. That's some blue sky thinking. <laughs> I love that, man. That is some blue sky thinking. <laughs> How so, B-Train? Well, I, I, I mean, it was a, it was a drubbing. It was a, it was a fair old drubbing. 
Um, but Adam Hassan, being the um, the the sunflower that he is, <laughs> the ray of light, the beam of positivity, has come out here with some blue sky thinking and thought, you know what? I'm gonna find the diamond in the rough here, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that absolutely. Uh, and listen, they did manage to get Steve Smith out cheaply. The only downside was that uh, they were unable to get David Warner or Marnus Labuschagne or even Matthew Wade out cheaply. Um, so in the end, the, as you say, but I mean, it's tough to look at that innings where, you know, Australia put on 580 and say anything else, but that uh, their bowling wasn't great. I don't what know what else you can say. What a week, though, when we're talking about Marnus Labuschagne and BJ Watling. Yeah, wild, you know, right? As the stars of world cricket, it's uh, it's refreshing. And, and, and that bloke from the West Indies who took seven for, who was that? Uh, Cornwall, Rakeem, Rakeem Cornwall, of course. Rakeem Cornwall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, seven for 75 against Afghanistan. Um, I mean, you got to take that, don't you? Sure. Well, if, look, if you're going to take seven for, it's got to be against someone. And listen, Adam Hassan's coming in going, what are the positives I can take out of this? Well, we got out Steve Smith and Yasir Shah. I'm not sure if you saw this, but Adam's going to mention it. Did the bunny symbol as um, Steve Smith walked off, implying that he believes Steve Smith to be his bunny, which is a big, big call from Yasir. I know he's got him out seven times, I think, which is a lot, but you know. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess there, there, there were two reactions to that from Steve Smith, which I absolutely loved. One was, um, look, if anything, it just motivates me not to get out to him next time and to little, be a little bit more disciplined. Um, and there's not often that you see Steve gets super serious, but he's, he had a bit of edge about him, which I, which I enjoyed. Um, and then the other line of questioning, which I enjoyed his response to, they said, oh, you know, Steve, why did you, uh, why did you jog back? You know, what, what was the 3K jog all about um, back to the hotel? And he sort of said, oh, well, you know, whenever I... Um, underperform I like to uh, you know I, I like to punish myself and the you know the 3k uh, run seemed apt and I thought that was very good and then the next and then uh, he also said wow. well when I do when I feel as though I perform really well um, you know I like to reward myself um, and then the next question was so what's a what's a pass mark and he said oh 100 100 is pass mark I get 100 and they were, fair enough and they said so how do you reward yourself he says oh Usually like a, a, a chocolate bar or a bit of chocolate. <laughs> and, then they, and then they said, so what type of chocolate do you like? And he said, oh, usually get a, a full block of Cadbury Dairy Milk. <laughs> athlete now, Chris, kids. I, I, that's what I love about this game, Pat. Uh, the, the, arguably the finest athlete in this game just chows down a full block of chocolate. <laughs> You've got to love that. You've got to love that. Let's hear some more from Adam. Equaled only by Stuart Broad, who has got him out seven times in 22 tests. Now on to a few individual performances from the first test. On the first morning, our openers, Shah Massoud and Azhar Ali, took us to lunch without losing a wicket. This was the first time ever that Australia haven't taken a wicket in the first session of a Gabba test match. Asad Shafiq also batted excellently continuing his good form with a score of 76. 16-year-old Nassim Shah showed an incredible level of maturity and stamina. He ran in smoothly and was not only very accurate, but also consistently bowled considerably quicker than the Aussie pace attack. 
In the second innings, Babu Azam scored his second test century and batted superbly. Yeah, hold up. Consistently bowled quicker than the Aussie pace attack. I mean, to an extent. Um, to, you know, he was bowling pretty rapid. We'll give him that. And he bowled the fastest ball of the game, I think. Um, but the Aussie pace attack was still hitting 140s, 145s. Um, so it wasn't like we were out there bowling 110 clicks and, and Nassim was out there bowling 150. Mm. Um, he did bowl very, very rapidly. We'll give him that. But I just wanted to just temper Adam Hassan there before we got really out of hand. You know, I'm just saying. Sure, but I think, you know, what a performance from the young man too. I, At he, 16, incredible. You know, absolutely amazing. Uh, I think I was playing cricket video games still. Um, I'm not even sure I was bowling 100, 147 kilometers an hour in cricket 04. <laughs> I don't think I was bowling 147 kilometers an hour in Don Bradman cricket. Um let alone this young man. I mean, the fact that Pakistan has two young, fast bowlers who can both bowl that rapid is extraordinary, Bardo. It's really quite amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So look against Blue Sky Thinking from Adam Hassan. We're gonna, we Pakistan. might call him Blue Sky Hassan from here because uh, that's all he sees. And it'd be funny because he's living in England, um, which is sure. obviously the most un-Blue Sky place in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, let's uh, re-engage and listen some more. Okay. Let's do that. As did Mohammed Rizwan, who fell just five runs short of a maiden test century. Rizwan also had a great game behind the stumps. One thing I do need to talk about is Mohammed Abbas. He's a world-class bowler with an incredible record, and yet he wasn't picked for the first test. Misbah said Imran Khan was picked ahead of him because Abbas didn't fit into Pakistan's best bowling combination for the test, and he'd lost pace. Firstly, you don't need pace in Australia, as Vernon Philander and Jimmy Anderson have demonstrated in recent years. What you need in Australia is a varied set of skills. Nassim Shah can provide the pace. Shaheen Shah Afridi brings a different angle. And then you need someone who can get something out of the surface, just as Abbas has done in the UAE, the West Indies, England and Ireland. And if they wanted someone quicker than Abbas, surely Imran Khan, bowling at under 135Ks, is not the solution. So basically, Pakistan have picked Imran Khan off the back of one Pfeiffer against Australia A, completely disregarding Abbas's achievements over the last two years in Test cricket. He may not even have taken many wickets had he played, but he definitely wouldn't have leaked runs in the way that Imran Khan did. We need him to play the second Test if we want a chance of winning, because control is crucial in Test cricket, and he's the only fast bowler we have who can truly provide it. Thank you, Adam, for an excellent tape there. Love your work. And uh, Chris, I have to completely agree with him here. Um, you know, the like, why they didn't pick Muhammad Abbas is, is beyond me. I mean, even with that explanation, um, he's such a quality bowler and he tore us apart in the UAE. And, you know, Adam's not wrong there about Imran Khan going for runs. I mean... He went got one for 73 off 24 overs. He was going for three and over. Um, same, Nassim Shah was got one for 68 off 20. You know, he was going for 3.4. So, you know, they were getting they were getting pumped around. Poor old Yassir Shah, even mm. though he took four for, got four for 205. Yeah. Which is not going to be figures that go in your record book, I don't think. Yeah, look, and I think you've got to feel for Yassir Shah because he's clearly a world-class bowler. Um, but just kind of lacked any sort of support um, uh, down the other end. And I think as a result, kind of copped it a little bit. Um, 
he, he was you see show was probably the pick of the bowlers um, obviously getting through near you know near on 50 uh, 50 yeah, incredible. Overs. Um, I thought it was um, you know I think there was some conversations throughout the game about whether Nassim Shah bowled enough um, mm. uh, he certainly bowled the, the of the major bowlers of the of the front line attack bowled the least amount of overs um, interesting to see uh, Harris Zahale too uh, bowling 19 overs picking up 2 for 75 yeah um Including a couple of big wickets from memory. I think Matty Wade on 60 and uh, Travis yeah, Cheaply. Um, and Trav Head as well on 24. Down the down the leg side, I think. Uh, fairly uh, dirty delivery, but they all count. <laughs> um, so really, look, um, I mean, really, really um, interesting to see. I think I think um, Adam makes a great point. I think we as a general public are all wondering why Muhammad Abbas wasn't picked and seem to uh, collectively disagree with the logic that was put forward by the Pakistani selectors. Um, he is the most dangerous bowler. Uh, and we, how many times throughout the World Cup would we rave about Muhammad Abbas? Yeah, uh, all the time. All the time. Um, and he just has such an impressive average. I think you partner Muhammad Abbas with... Uh, I mean, imagine Muhammad Abbas in these conditions on a grassy gabba wicket. Um, pretty interesting prospect, pace or no... And I think we've also seen with the likes of Hey Diddle Diddle Peter Siddle. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the bowlers, and Sean Pollock as well is another example of bowlers yes. who can reinvent themselves in the towards the latter part of their career when they do lose a step. Um, so, again, unusual decision. Um, I think, um, you know, whilst absolutely, yes, you know, pace is a weapon, I think experience... Um, and knowledge and guile um, mm. uh, should never be underestimated um, or, Mate. you know, dealt with at the expense of, uh, of uh, excess pace. Uh, just, just a point of view. The classic example there, mate, is Glenn McGrath. You know, Glenn McGrath still took a ton of wickets at the end of his career when he was bowling 120 because he was accurate. Um, our mate Muhammad Abbas, he's got an average of 18 in test cricket and he's got 66 wickets in 14 tests. I mean, I don't care who you are. That is phenomenal figures. Like, give the man the ball. And you've got to think about the Adelaide Oval, Chris, under lights, pink ball, nipping about. I mean, they don't pick Abbas. They've really missed a trick, um, Pakistan. They're really playing into our hands there. I mean, all the batsmen that came off, Smith, uh, Warner, and I think even Tim Payne um, said how glad they were not to have to face up against a bus because of how accurate and uh, how much he can move the ball. So they did miss a trick there for sure. But it's great to see Adam taking so many positives out of what was, from our point of view, a drubbing. Yeah, look, it, it, it's a funny old game because uh, I think if you watch the coverage, Channel 7 are doing this thing where Ricky Ponting decides who won the session and there were a few sessions there where, despite Pakistan being well behind the game, um, that it Panda felt that they won the session. So there certainly were some bright spots um, throughout. Uh, they were Baba Razam, Chris, can bat. So can Mohammad Rizwan. Baba Razam off the back foot through cover, mate. I mean, he's glorious. Mm. Look, absolutely. And again, you go down through that uh, that Pakistani batting order, and there's some talent there, no doubt about it. Harris Sahail, we know, is a talent. Azhar Ali, we know, can do some damage. And but you know Baba Azam with his second uh, Test match hundred is is um, is a heck of a player. So look, there are some players there in that Pakistani lineup that can do some damage. Um, but anytime you concede five hundred and eighty runs in the first innings, 
it's going to be problematic. Um, so yeah. um, I think they just probably just didn't have it have uh, simply enough weapons. And I think the other concern from a Pakistani point of view is Australia's top order, our top three, has been a significant problem for a period of time. Really, you could even make the point our middle order has been a problem for a period of time with the exception of Steve Smith and whoever's willing to hang around with him on the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that is, to me, I think the fact that Steve Smith got out for four runs is almost a cause for celebration. Um, mm, the fact that we put 580 on the board and Steve Smith didn't really do that much. Um, Pakistan have effectively played our top order into form which is something we've been craving essentially since the retirement of Justin Langer and Matthew Hayden. Matthew <laughs> Hayden, 2007. So, um, anyway. Mate, let's hear from Alex Spinks. I'm sure there's going to be music at the start of this, so I'm just going to turn myself down. Um, let's crack in. Here we go. Here's Alex Spinks with an Australian perspective. Sphinx the Sphinx here with a quick recount of that demolition by an innings and five runs of the visiting Pakistan team. Quick fact, in the entire history of test cricket, this match in Brisbane being test number 2,368, there have been just nine matches decided by an innings and fewer than five runs. And this is Australia's closest innings winning margin since an innings and four runs win against India in Sydney in 1981. New Zealand has the quirky crown of having been just one run shy of making their opposition bat a second time by suffering two innings and one run defeats, although that was over 40 years ago. These facts are meaningless, but what else is cricket if not a game for statistics majors who couldn't bring themselves to watch baseball? Moving on, nearly every member of the Aussie team chipped in to make this large victory happen. Let's run down the order with my bespoke rating system. First up, Davey Warner. Wouldn't that have felt good for him? After a blistering World Cup, Warner followed that display with one of the most dismal Ashes series for an opener in recent memory. It was the type of series that has ended careers of many great top-order batsmen. I think the only thing that made it easier for Warner to cope during his time in England was that there were two other openers also having one of the worst series for an opening batsman ever. So, as there were three opening batsmen having the worst series ever, that meant it was a normal series for opening batsmen, and it was Rory Burns who was having an unusual series by scoring a century. Small comforts, I guess. But this innings was special, as it kicked to the curb all the talk of Warner being spent in long-form cricket, that this series is his last hurrah, and that maybe the Reverend can't quite hack it if his mouth isn't doing more talking than he's batting. The only thing that could annoy Warner about his come-home century is that he didn't even manage to be the highest scorer for his team. Nassim Shah had him caught behind in the 50s, only for him to find out that he bowled one of the three called no-balls of the innings. And then, like Sam Curran before him, last ashes down under, he had to wait for his victim to smash another 100 runs before finally getting his man. 10 Hold up, Um, Bardo. Yeah, mate. You've got to, you've got to, you know, it's funny, mate. You and I were doing this pod, and when I was going back to do the episode 50, um, Raise the Bat Spectacular, please go back and listen to it if you haven't yet. Um, uh, when I was going back to do that, Bardo, I discovered that we, we forgot about Mason Crane, the stork. Um, so we had Tommy the Date Curran right. and Mason the Crane as Mason Crane the stork. Sure. Um, I've invented these nicknames, but I'm very happy about it. Both of them got wickets off big fat noes. Both of them, Bardo. 
Yeah. Debut wickets off Big Fat Noe's. Big Fat Dirty Noe's, Bardo. I think that's funny. I can't... <laughs> sure. Sure. Look. I think that's funny to add dear old uh, Nassim into that list. I think that's entertaining. And you can call me mean, folks. Don't at me. Um, I just think it's entertaining. Well, I think there was a there was a Simpsons episode uh, once where uh, Homer goes to become the capital city goofball, and ah, it doesn't yes. work out so well. And the the final line of the episode is, um, uh, I think Homer turns to Mo and says, uh, "Why do stories of failure and degradation always make the best ones?" And uh, Mo says, "I don't know, Homer. They just do." <laughs> So look, I can't condone you finding humor out of this, but um, you know, uh, I guess it's just funny in some ways. Um, uh, I mean, poor old yeah. Nassim. I mean, you know, that's that's a really tough day at the office. And given the fact that Paddy Cummins also got a wicket off a no ball that was caught in his favour, yeah. um, which was a bit of a shocking decision, if I'm honest. Like, I can't believe that didn't go Pakistan's oh, way. I mean, I think. Come we, on. as the viewers, and certainly I know up at the commentary box, were fighting, trying to find any way that some part of that shoe was behind the line. Yeah. I mean, you looked at it from every conceivable angle. Because he's an honest man, Pat Cummins. He strikes he you as an honest man. Honest Pat, he does. I call him. Honest Pat. Honest Pat. Um, uh, and, um, you know, you, you, you know, you know he would, he, he'd, he'd usher the batsman back if he knew that he'd go to step the line. But... Uh, I just couldn't. I couldn't see it. I've got to say, I, th- I think that was an incorrect umpiring decision. Tough one. Tough one. Mm. Although um, uh, two meter Peter, I actually don't know if he's two meters tall, but he's very tall. Peter George. Uh, I'm talking like Donald Trump tonight for some reason. Very tall. <laughs> honest Pat. Honest Pat. Very tall. Very tall. Um, <laughs> don't get in the habit, Bardo. Two meter George. It's his tremendous. He's come up with this tremendous thing. Oh boy! Um, Peter, two meter Peter George, and uh, it's it's basically what it is. It's a bit like you know in bowling when uh, ten pin bowling when you overstep the line and there's like a mm. it gives you like a buzzer. Yes, like you're a foul. So basically, what they've come up with is like this infrared thing, which every time you overstep on the front foot, um, it sends a little you know like ping alert thing to the umpire. So that they know that it's, a, it's automatically a no ball, which effectively means that the umpire will never have to watch the front foot again. Ugh. And from what I understand, that's actually a directive that's coming to the umpires at the moment: is is don't bother watching the front foot because we yeah. we the videotape have you covered. Yeah. Um, but you didn't on this case. You didn't have them covered, so that's why I really feel for it in this situation. Is the yeah, uh, is the umpire? Let's get back to Spinksy. Joe Burns time. The Queenslander took his time to settle in, probably surprised that a Gabba pitch which had been so sprightly and hard to navigate thus far in the Sheffield Shield season was actually playing very straight and true like it wanted to be a drop-in pitch at the MCG. But after that, he showed that his time out from the game to deal with a fatigue disorder and burnout earlier in the year, making him miss the Ashes series, it's worked wonders and he looks set to stay at the top of the Australian order for a little while longer yet. Just goes to show that when a sport takes notice of issues like this and others, it can make the world of difference to each individual player. 97 out of 100 Justin Langers. Steve Smith's South African clone, Marnus Labashain, did what Steve Smith does. He bats. All day. And then more. And then more. They spread the field to contain the flow of runs. He still splits the field. They use every batsman who claims to be a spinner to try and spin him out with a mystical art of subcontinental mystery spin. The mystery here being, even the bowlers don't know where it's going to go, so how could the batsman? Doesn't work. Just wait till he nearly converts a maiden ton into a double ton, and then pounce! 
Boom. Got him. Marvellous. 185 Steve Smith fidgets out of 200. Next, the weak link of the Aussie batting lineup. <laughs> I mean, I will say this. Um, I'll say this, buddy. Wasn't that innings from Minus awesome? 180 yeah. runs, you know, nearly chanceless. A couple of little chances there early on, but I mean... Truly exceptional, buddy. He's going to be number three for a very long time if he keeps playing like that. Yeah, look, I, I think... Um, I mean, I, I have a couple of thoughts. Uh, as I said, I think effectively by picking uh, potentially a, a bowling attack, which was not as strong as it could have been, what Pakistan's effectively done is played our top three in the form. Um, and we found and have some confidence now in an opening pair, um, which probably should have been the opening pair uh, since the last test against Sri Lanka. It probably should have been our opening pair um, uh, throughout the Ashes. But we're here now. We're here now. Bygones be bygones, Pat. Bygones be God, bygones. <laughs> um, so, that, so that pair is locked in now. And I think certainly with, uh, you know, isn't, isn't the concussion rule a magnificent thing? Because um, one, it protects the brain of our athletes, which is absolutely critical and something we need Love to be that. doing. Um, but secondly, it gave us, it gave us the opportunity to unearth the talent that is Marnus Labuschagne. And um, we always knew he was a, a talented batsman. We saw that in the series against India, some, certainly some potential. But he really unearthed and, and went to another level in the Ashes. And he's gone to another level again. Um, and so now what we have is a solidified top three that I think for the rest of the summer, hopefully... We can place uh, place some faith in and and and, uh, and, and go to for some uh, uh, semblance of reliability. Hopefully not too successful because I'd still like to see Steve Smith make a bunch of runs. That's a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but uh, I think now the in terms of having a complete top six, there's probably still some question marks over five, six, and seven. But having said that, I thought uh, Matthew Wade did look reasonably accomplished at, at uh, batting five. Yep, um, so r- really, that just leaves the the question around uh, around six. Given that head, uh, sorry, given that uh, Tim Payne will be captaining Australia for the rest of the summer. Um, let's hear some more from Spinksy. Our number four, Steve Smith. With an innings like that, he'll surely be looking over his shoulder during the next test to make sure Cameron Bancroft doesn't come in and take his spot. Because, yeah, that's going to happen. I think Pakistan have stumbled onto the best way to keep Smith quiet. Rather than use the method previously trialled by England and India, wait till he scores 140-odd runs and then get him out, just let his teammates score 350 runs before he comes in, and he won't be anywhere near as effective. This was the first time in Smith's career that the other 10 players on his team have outscored him. Probably thinking about this, immediately after he got out, Smith went straight out to the nets for several hours and then jogged to the team hotel at the end of the day instead of taking the team bus in order to, and I quote, punish himself for his failure. Maybe the key to great batting is self-flagellation. Hmm. One four-hour net session out of ten. Matthew Wade at number five. 60 well-made runs from Wade as he continues the consistent run he started two years ago in the Sheffield Shield in order to return to the side. If you're disappointed to score 60 runs in any given innings, you and the team must be doing something right. One catch to his name as well for the match and some nice stops fielding at mid-off. A good match all round. Six Tassie Pies out of ten. Travis Head, placed in the awkward position of trying to set up a declaration with 500 runs already on the board, Head can only really be disappointed with his method of dismissal, strangled down the leg side by a part-time orthodox spinner. Ouch. 
Not much to report in the field either, so a quiet one for Travis Head all told. Hopefully his home ground in Adelaide this week for the day-night test will kickstart his summer and help him feel secure in his place in the squad. If not, Cameron Bancroft is waiting right behind you. Three <laughs> that'll never happens out of a hundred. Tim Payne, the man with permanently broken fingers, continued to play with broken fingers. Taking seven catches and only just missing out on one screamer off Stark's bowling, Payne was his usual self, miserly with the gloves, blink and you miss him with the bat, and always steering the ship chirping up every now and then to say that you smell nice. Standard Tim. Unlike Standard Tim, he figured out how to use the DRS to get a wicket. With some encouragement from Steve Smith and a new system that the team has put into place to limit the amount of voices in his ear, Payne can now feel confident that his average and successfully ruining an umpire's decision may one day get close to his batting numbers. 30-ish percent. Five successful DRS reviews out of 10. Paddy Cummins, the number one ranked test bowler in the world. Should he open the bowling? Is he the most overqualified first change bowler since Jason Gillespie? Can he move the ball like Stark or Hazelwood? Should we listen to Shane Warne's opinions on pace bowlers anymore? Or ever? Either way, Pat Cummins doesn't listen. He just does his job. Took five wickets and wore big shoes so he could keep his front foot behind the line. A proper team player. The first bowler in many years that Ian Chappell thinks can captain a cricket side took his quarter of all available wickets and went home smiling. Seven Gillespie mullets out of ten. Mitchell Stark. Skinny Mitchell Johnson blasted through the tail in the first innings and then blasted out the top order in the third. With a tweaked action set to allow consistency in his line and length, Stark has willingly dropped a few yards of pace in order to keep his now seemingly unsteady grip on his place in the side. That is, until he reads the messages he writes on his arms and says, F it, bowl fast. Took his six wickets in clumps like he does. When one wicket falls to Stark, you're usually bracing for another one or two to come quickly. Eight expletives on your wrists out of ten. Josh Hazelwood, the man who played alongside Trent Copeland and thought, I could do that, but I'm one centimetre taller, so it might actually work. Vernon Philander with an extra yard of pace, he never lets batsmen settle. Even when they were settled, they were never really settled. Hazelwood was just taking a break. Relentless, accurate, and six wickets the richer, Hazelwood earned 7.5 forgotten test cricketers out of 10. Nathan Lyon. Some wonderfully probing and attacking spells from Lyon resulted in very few rewards. One of those stats don't show the full story situations. On an unhelpfully intact Gabba pitch, Lyon still managed to keep surprising batsmen with bounce and drift to keep them honest. None of the batsmen bar Babar Azam in the third innings really got a hold of him, and the pressure he applied helped get wickets at the other end. Four tough days at the office out of five. And lastly... Our 12th man, Michael Goff, the video umpire. When Australia was searching for a wicket, this man stepped up to make sure the game wouldn't get away from Australia. To quote Professor Farnsworth from Futurama, You changed the result by measuring it! Thanks, Goffy. One called no ball out of 27 uncalled no balls. That's it. I'm out of here. Hopefully I'll be back after the day-night test where Australia can give me my 30th birthday present on the 1st of December by wrapping the series up 2-0. Peace! Thank you, Spinksy. Thank you, mate. Love your work. Um, Bardo, thoughts, feelings and emotions about uh, the Big Spinks' calls there. Are you happy with all those ratings? Do you feel that's fair? Ah, very fair, very fair. He's an impartial man, is Alex... Uh, Spinks, he's, uh, I've always said that, I've always said he's, he's like a, um, he's like a blind lady of justice when, 
<laughs> Except when it comes to his furious belief that the Australian side should just be the New South Wales side. But outside of that, Chris, I completely agree with you. Well, I wouldn't know anything about uh, looking at a particular state side through rose-coloured glasses. Pat wouldn't know anything about it at all. Yeah, you wouldn't know a thing about that at all, Chris. Um, listen, mate, overall, we have to say that Australia played really well in this test match. And... Um, and I, I cannot see... I mean, you never know with Pakistan, they, they could turn up and there was a lot of signs for them in that second innings that they could be a much more competitive side the next test. But you got to say, under lights, Mitchell Stark swinging the ball around, the top order firing, Joe Burns making runs. we got to say we're in the box seat to take this two-zip. Yeah, really, there's only one man that can uh, probably save Pakistan at the moment, and that is Mohamed Abbas. I Muhammad think Abbas. Muhammad Abbas uh, in human conditions in a day night test could prove very interesting and a bit of a handful uh, to play. But we won't know unless they pick him, Pat. That's the oh. funny thing about selection. It can at times be shocking. Um, <laughs> but hopefully some common sense prevails in I've got one thing at the 57th minute of the podcast again we've not got it done in 40 minutes we never will I think we just need to accept that in our hearts but Chris um, I've got to send a message here to the skipper of Pakistan to bump Balbar's arm up the order he's coming in at 5 and I think he probably needs to be coming in at 4 or 3 realistically Ashad Shafiq can drop down one I think Balbar should at least go up to 4 because they need him coming in earlier if they're gonna if they're gonna put a dent in it, especially in Australian conditions. That's just my piece of advice to the Pakistan cricket team. Um, but I, I think we should call it there. Let's let's put a pin in it, mate. Um, wonderful to have you with me. Thank you for making the time. Love it to see your face um, and hear your thoughts. We will be back after the next test match, folks, to wrap up all the action, give you a update on our WBBL fantasy teams and all of the women's cricket news. Heidi Cheetah will be back in to do that. We'll also have tapes from Adam Hassan, from probably Michael the Stickwood to preview the Kiwi series coming up. Mm. And, of course, Alex Spinks will be in and around it as well. Uh, if you haven't yet, make sure you like, rate, and review the pod uh, on the iTunes store. And you've checked out our Facebook page as well, folks, so you can stay in touch with us. Chris, any final thoughts from you before we sign off? Uh, well, like Chris Martin, um, having faced a pace barrage, I'm similarly bemused about what's just happened. <laughs> But um, what better time than now than to make my way back to the pavilion um, to adjourn for the evening. Pardo, thank you so much, mate. Lovely to hear your words and uh, enjoy the lamingtons and teas and uh, ice creams you have up there in the pavilion. Um, I assume that's what you'll be eating. Maybe a couple of pasties, buddy, a little, a little pasty pie? <laughs> a little pasty, a little pasty. Don't mind a little pasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't talk about Lamington or to be fair either. But uh, anyway, whatever's on offer, whatever the uh, whatever the uh, committee has seen foot to put forth on the spread, uh, I shall cast my eye upon. Beautiful, mate. Love that. Thank you very much for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. You're a bunch of legends, and I only have one more thing to say, which is go those other ways.